Hello and welcome to this In Conversation series with some of UQ's highest achieving alumni, the 2020 UQ Alumni Award winners. My name is Madonna King and my guest today is Professor Philippa Diedrichs, who has been awarded the Vice-Chancellor's Alumni Excellence Award. Philippa Diedrichs completed a Bachelor of Sciences with first-class honours in psychology in 2004 and a PhD in health psychology in 2011. In 2010, she took up a postdoctoral position at the University of the West of England, where, at the age of 34, she was promoted to full professor. And she continues to be a strong international voice on the subject of body image, particularly for girls and women. Philippa Diedrichs, congratulations and welcome. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Madonna. It's um, a real privilege and honour to um, receive the award and to be talking to you today. You are an exceptional academic scholar, but also this strong advocate for body image positivity. What brought you to focus on that? Yeah, that's a really good idea. I actually um, became an academic secondary to my passion for really trying to create a more just world in which women and girls in particular and non-binary individuals are not held back in life by appearance concerns, pressures and stereotypes. And uh, I feel really strongly about that because um, there's several decades of research now, now showing that when someone experiences body image concerns, or and by that I mean feelings of shame or inadequacy or negative emotions around their body, it impacts all key areas of their lives. And particularly for young girls, we see that eight out of 10 girls will opt out of important life activities like putting their hand up in the classroom, going to the doctor, giving an opinion or trying out for a sport or team or club. And, you know, we've had a long history of gender inequality. And this is something with body image that's modifiable um, and that we can change. And that's really what my whole career is dedicated to and doing that in an evidence-based way um, that's underpinned by science and research. But what kind of got you to tap into that? Is there a personal story or when did you even become aware of body image as an issue? Yeah, it's a really good question. I actually gave my first presentation on body image when I was in grade eight at high school um, in social studies on the Sunshine Coast uh, in Queensland. And at that point in time, it was really about the lack of representation in media images. And there was a lot of um, discussion starting to happen about eating disorders and ultra thin fashion models. I've always had a fascination, although I wouldn't have used these words back then, but about how culture and society can impact us as individuals and, and our health and well-being. And when I was looking at university courses, I actually saw anthropology which is the study exactly of that, of culture. and But the job outcomes was researcher and lecturer. And I thought, oh, goodness, well, that doesn't interest me, which is the irony now. That's exactly what I do. So I started off at UQ um, uh, in a Bachelor of Arts, quite open to trying lots of different subjects. And I took a few psychology subjects, absolutely loved them. And I really just followed my nose in my passion area. Um, but kind of underpinning all of that, particularly as I got into my honours year and then certainly my PhD studies was really how we can use research to advocate this change and be strategic with the science that we conduct. For me, the really exciting thing about research is that we can learn what works and then we can look at how we can scale that up so that it benefits as many people as possible, which is really the focus of my work today. 
So your work has been published across the across the globe in peer-reviewed papers, but also, you know, in the New York Times, BBC, Time magazine. How do you actually explain to people what you do? So a lot of the research that I do and um, now the team of researchers that I work with, we really look to understand what are the root causes that influence how people think and feel about their bodies. We really focus on factors that we can change. So we'll look at the role of peers, family, the role of media, the role of cultural and societal norms. And then we use that research to develop tools and strategies, whether that's at a policy or governmental level or looking at workshops and schools or more recently, digital programs to use that information to then improve body image among particularly young people. Well, you've been working with Dove, a brand most of our listeners would be aware of. Just explain your work there. Yeah, so we've had an academic partnership with um, the Dove Self-Esteem Project, which is the global education initiative of the brand Dove for over seven years now. And what we've been working to with Dove is really looking at what does the science show are the most effective and potent strategies to improve body image young, among young people, but taking those to the masses and really scaling them up. So looking at how we can put them online um, or in schools and partnering with other organizations such as UNICEF, the World Association for Girl Guides and Girl Scouts, who have a huge reach and on the ground infrastructure in many countries around the world to get these evidence-based programs out there. Body image is an issue for so many of our girls. How young do these issues arise in your view? Well, we have research to suggest that children as young as three are aware of appearance stereotypes and they will indicate things like they think it's bad to be fat or being in a wheelchair or having a scar on your face and they're less likely to kind of want to be friends with the children who might have those characteristics. But really the research shows that around the, from the age of five that we start to see girls, but also boys, start to express dissatisfaction with their own bodies. Of course, it's quite hard to measure these things among, um, among children, but certainly as young as five. And the unfortunate thing is from there, we tend to see the trends suggest that it only gets worse. And by adolescence, you have the vast majority of girls are dissatisfied such that it's now called a normative discontent. It's more normal for girls to not like their bodies than what it is, unfortunately, for them to accept them. You mentioned boys briefly. How much of this is a problem for girls and how much of it is a problem for boys? What we typically see in the research is that from the early stage, it disproportionately affects girls or non-binary individuals um, from a very, very early age but we are seeing increasing rates among boys. And historically, actually, the research really positioned this as a women's issue and didn't even ask boys and men the questions. But certainly what we're seeing in um, probably over the past 10 years, that we see that a significant proportion of boys and men are affected by these concerns, um, with estimates ranging from between 30 to 60%. But one of the differences is that in society, men and boys can gain what we call social capital or credibility in other ways in society, whether that's through their wealth, their career, or other um, traditional indicators of masculine status. So although it's affecting boys and men, um, we do see it disproportionately affecting girls and women. And of course, you know, it's not the kind of gender equality we want where everybody is dissatisfied. Yeah. You know, um, Philip, you've worked alongside all sorts of organisations, Unilever, UNICEF, Cartoon Network, YMCA, the World Association for Girl Guides and Girl Scouts, what, in your view, 
would really make a material difference to our understanding and I guess treatment of body image issues. I think increasingly trying to hold businesses and media structures more accountable and getting them really engaged and not just tokenistic campaigns to showcase diversity and and improve representation of diverse appearances, but that to become the norm. And alongside of that, to have more diverse representations of women and girls that are less objectifying, um, that are not just reducing women and girls to their bodies and the way that they look, but actually showing them as active agents of change in society. And I feel like that's going to be really critical because if you grow up from a very young age, only seeing a certain appearance as successful or attractive or worthy and only certain opportunities for women and girls, which are heavily reliant on either their appearance or other traditional stereotypes like mothering, for example, then that really limits girls and women's potential. So I think that that's going to be crucial that um, businesses take more responsibility in this area. You've done so much already in terms of research, uh, working with organisations in the academic sphere. What are you most proud of? I think one of the projects I'm most proud of is our the one that we conducted with Doug and the World Association for Girl Guides and Girl Scouts, which is the largest youth organisation for girls in the world. And what was really powerful about that project is initially we took an evidence-based program that had been well-established and the research is effective. We adapted it for that specific context. And originally, it was meant to be delivered in um, 11 or 12 countries around the world, which for a researcher was kind of mind-blowing in and of itself. But what we saw was that it actually went viral and it was ended up being delivered in over 136 countries across all continents in the world, from Rwanda to Thailand to Western Europe, even in a Syrian refugee camp. And I think what was really striking to me about that, and we did actually a global study to evaluate the dissemination of that program. And what really struck me, even as someone who's obviously clearly very passionate about this issue, is just how much it resonated with girls and women around the world, such that if you were in Rwanda and you don't have much money to send you know, your three daughters to school, you'll pick the prettiest girl to go to school. Or if you're in India, you might pick um, you know, your daughter who is less conventionally attractive because the more attractive ones are going to be married and then that's their life done. So we started to see this played out in a very real way around the world. But also it really showed the power of researchers and academics partnering with a community-based organization and a business to actually have an evidence-based mental health program um, delivered on a global, a truly global basis um, and improving the lives. It's now over 4 million girls around the world have received that program. So that's something that I'm incredibly proud of. So I've been asking all our alumni this, but if you were starting again at UQ, it's first year, it's the first day, what type of advice would you give yourself? I I think um, there are so many amazing subjects and courses and staff members at UQ. And I think what I would do is very similar to what I did in my first year, Um, have the confidence to try out lots of different things. I did history subjects. I even did an IT subject, Asian studies, as well as psychology. And uh, that really helped me to work out not only what, what I was interested in, but really importantly, what I was passionate about. Because I think if you're passionate about what you're studying, it's going to set you up for a career in which, you know, your work is, of course, it's going to be hard work or work is but it's going to be pleasurable and something that you feel really strongly about. 
And it's by having that, you know, that first year really exploring things that that's how I found psychology. Um, and that's how I found a, a mechanism to really, you know, channel my energies and what I was passionate about. And UQ is amazing in the sense that it has so much rich kind of classes that it offers and to make the most of that and not be afraid. You don't have to decide in your first year exactly what career you're going to have um, and where this is all going to take you straight away. So that's good advice, not only to, to you, the young Philippa Diedrichs, but to all first-year students, I guess. Can I ask you about advice to our teen girls? Is there one piece of wisdom, given all your experience, that they really should hear? Yeah, I think, you know, it's going to be really challenging, which is what I would say is to be very kind to yourself because it is hard um, to grow up in a world where we have these really strong messages telling us how girls and women should look. But one of the things that I would really strongly recommend they do is to focus on their bodies as a multidimensional tool and looking at the functions of their bodies and what their bodies allow them to do and having gratitude for how their bodies allow them to move through the world, how their hands allow them to create art or how their brains allow them to come up with amazing ideas because we're so much more than how we look. And we know from the research that by focusing on the functionality of our bodies, that's a really key route to accepting and respecting our bodies. A wonderful message. Philippa Diedrichs, congratulations and thank you. Thank you so much. It's been so lovely to talk to you. We hope you enjoyed this conversation with UQ Vice-Chancellor's Alumni Excellence Award recipient, Philippa Diedrichs. To learn more about our Alumni Award winners, or for more information about the UQ Alumni Programming, please visit the UQ Alumni webpage at alumni.uq.edu.au or follow UQ Alumni on social media. My name is Madonna King and thanks for listening.